All right, here we go. It is April 15, 2021, and this is You're Probably Right Podcast. And I'm your host. I'm the guy, MCM, on the mic, literally. Anyhow, <laughs> um, today's a funny day for me. First of all, I didn't realize the date until somebody asked me a question about somebody's birthday, which is going to be tomorrow. And <clears throat> just realizing at the same time when I looked down at my watch that today is the death anniversary of my dearly departed brother who passed away on April 15th, 2007. And that situation is kind of interesting. I didn't really plan to talk about it at all, but um, not really out of respect, but more, I guess, factually from my, from a historical standpoint in my family, and they'll understand when they're listening to this, whenever they're listening to this, um, if you kind of understand what I mean, not technically for posterity, but they'll know when it happens anyhow um yeah so april 15th was the day he passed away and he passed away in a hospital um he went into the emergency room and not sure if i talked about this on any other podcast before but um what had happened was he was having chest pains he went into the emergency into a, a hospital in scarborough in toronto ontario canada and <clears throat> they turned him away Needless to say, he still had the pains. For some reason, um, he walked away and he got to the main entrance of the hospital. I don't know if he was just not going to leave, but he dropped down and died of a heart attack. The coroner said he had a blood clot and it went straight to his heart and he passed away. They said he probably passed away before he hit the ground. This is the story that they told us. Um, it wasn't until years after, because of course there's no investigation on anything once the coroner says what it is, it's just that's what it is. Um, I'm not going to call foul play on the coroner nor the hospital, but he was turned away and they tried to ask questions to attribute his um, heart attack to maybe an argument or a scuffle he had two to three weeks earlier. Um, but that's a whole nother story, but here we are, I will get to our main topics, but I figured I would just talk about that first. Now I have technically, I have 12 topics, um, to go through with you, but, um, I'm going to go backwards. In other words, I'm going to go in reverse order of the ideas as they came to my head. Actually, I don't think it's 12. I think it's 11. I think this thing is lying to me. Yeah, it's 11. <clears throat> and I'm going to leave you with some thoughts. And these are just things that, you know, I'm not going to say that I'm a big thinker or whatever it is, but sometimes ideas come to your head and sometimes you want to bounce them off somebody else. But this podcast hasn't graduated to the position of having another person worthy of being on my microphone. No. <laughs> I'm just joking. Um, I just haven't decided to pull anybody else in or beg anybody or ask anybody or request anybody. Nobody's requested to be talking to me on this microphone, outing themselves and 
in various ways as I've come to understand you do when you have a podcast you know basically when you do anything in social media or anywhere these days we got that amazing amazing cancel culture and if you don't know about it wait a while (laughs) especially if you're somewhere in the public eye okay so these are the topics and i'm going to reverse them but i'm going to tell you in order of the thought process that i had i had um canada can't get the vaccine um that's the first one then we're gonna go to pushing vaccines on minorities number two three getting news from social media is it good or bad housing market what's up with that (laughs) actually it's not (laughs) it's not that exactly but i just figured i'd say it that way um number five price of lumber gone up and other products uh six education cheap online you'll know what i mean when we talk about it of course number seven companies may start to access union college courses what does that mean eight immigration can it help if regulated hmm it wasn't a question i just figured i'd ask it that way um my, my issues with the canadian vaccine or the vaccines that canada's getting and I, I don't know why i wrote it that way but whatever number 10 the stimulus or reparation remember that stimulation package that they gave so many people last year during covid why hmm. number 11 i got a question and these questions actually there's not one question there is one two three four five questions that i think i'm gonna start asking people either people i just meet or as weird as it might be to ask these questions i think i'm gonna start asking the people i know i think i'm gonna like it's not like i'm gonna tattoo it on my arm to remember what these five questions are but you know what i'm realizing more and more as this culture i don't know what it's doing but it's just it's just it seems like to have a conversation with somebody and depending on whether or not you're an agreeable person or a disagreeable person um will depend on how you will answer these questions and anyhow after that (laughs) I'm going to, because I already started going into it, and that's actually going to be my first topic, so it's going to work, so don't worry about it. Um, I'm going to leave you with some thoughts, and just to give you a little teaser of that, I will actually ask one right now. I will give a thought to you, and you can mull it over with yourself, or you can actually talk to somebody else unlike me. All right, so check it out. Here we go. So, as I said before, welcome It is now seven minutes in, and I'm going to say to you, welcome to the podcast. You're probably right. I am your podcast host, and my name is MCM, and you are welcome at my house anytime. All right. So I'm going to give you one of these thoughts. Now, this is just something that I was thinking about while taking a shower. Whatever. All right. (laughs) Um... Iron, they say, they say, iron sharpens iron, 
right? This is what we've heard many times. And usually when people say iron sharpens iron, it usually has to do with, let's just say you were a good um, debater. And to get better as a debater, they would say, or somebody would argue, or a basketball player, or, or a tennis player, or a golfer, usually you have to go against that which is as good, if not better than you, for you to increase your skills and <clears throat> or your aptitude for whatever it is you're doing so here was what i said to kind of finish that off and you know what kind of started this was when i read someone's um, signature on the bottom of an email and i can't remember exactly what it was but i realized that that person's signature didn't really make any sense anymore and it was something like a healthy mind cannot exist in an unhealthy body. In other words, it was kind of like it's saying that if your body's just not healthy, your mind's just not going to work at all. And then what dawned on me right away was, what about Stephen Hawking? Anyhow, that's where I'm going to leave it. And you can Google that I'm um, saying in you heard what I said, and if you didn't, rewind it. Um, <laughs> that's where we are. I got two more of those for you, and I'll give those to you at the very end. So as I said, I'm going in reverse order. So here we are now at number 11, as is now obviously number one. Okay, so question. This is what I would ask somebody or anybody at any time rather it just it's it, it's an interesting conversation piece and uh, conversation starter and it also gives the person you're asking the question um if they don't usually look into themselves to see what they're about and maybe see why they fall on certain sides of an argument as they do it might, yeah, I said it might give them some kind of an answer or some kind of an insight into who they are or what their beliefs are and whether or not they need to change some of their stance on certain subjects or people. I mean, it's kind of like, and I obviously haven't asked you the questions yet, but it's kind of like Trump. You say Trump, it, it, it's, it's weird how the word, even though how it ended up being a, a man's last name, a very popular man's name or a very unpopular man's name. Um, soon as you say it, it's like, it's almost like in pe some people's minds, like, oh, what an idiot or what a smart man or what a racist or make America great again, or one of the worst presidents ever, or one of the best presidents, ever, or he taught us to understand exactly what America, America was really all about all along. Um, and it may not mean that for you, but it's interesting. So here are the questions. And hopefully you understood that train of thought. And again, I'm apologizing to you if I'm not fully thinking or speaking through some of these topics because I can only go as far as my mind will take me at the time that I'm speaking about it. And that is generally why probably not the only reason why most people who have a podcast actually have somebody else to bounce the ideas off um here go iron sharpens iron <laughs> 
and that is supposing that I'm iron in the first place, but that's a whole other story. So first question is, who is your favorite comedian? And the reason why I thought about this and why this would be a question is because I was a part of a discussion with about 40 people a couple weeks ago. And I was asked to give my thoughts on a certain subject that was very, or that is very, very, very touchy. And I didn't feel confident enough to give my total unadulterated opinion, feelings, experience on a topic because of the fact that it could, if, if I communicated the wrong things in the wrong way in front of the wrong people, it could affect my life, people around me's life, even in interactions. It could affect my family and my future. So I wasn't really prepared to put at risk many things at that particular time. Kicked myself afterwards, but then I also patted myself on the back at the same time because the words that I did say, and then when I stopped short of saying what the things that I had on my mind were, and said that, and I know it's a cop-out, I said, when the person the person asked me if I have anything to say, I said, you know what, I have too much to say. And for some reason, I believe that that spoke volumes, although I didn't really speak about anything. <clears throat> you know, who is your favorite comedian? And this is... I don't know very many people who don't like comedy at some level. So if you say, in other words, and I wanted to segue on something else, but I won't. But um, if you ask a person and they say, my favorite comedian is Jerry Seinfeld. And I guess from there you would ask why? And, you know, Jerry does a certain, a very certain typical type of com comedy that is light, witty, but not very offensive to most people generally. And I guess that's why he made it on network TV, because he wasn't very offensive. Now, if you said somebody like Dave Chappelle, you might. In most cases, people either love and think he's a comedic genius or they think he swears too much and therefore there's nothing that he says that is worth listening to. Um, if you say Bill Cosby, well, after them pudding pops, <laughs> who knows, right? Um, it's, just, it's just a very interesting question. My next question would be, and again, I'm not going through everything. Otherwise, we will be here for another three hours. And I'm not prepared to do that at this point. Maybe until somebody pays me. <laughs> okay. Um, what are your religious beliefs? In other words, what religion do you follow? Or do you follow any religion at all? Do you believe in God? 
do you not believe in God? Do you believe in Hinduism or are you a Muslim? Are you a follower of Sikhism? You know what I mean? Are you agnostic? Are you an atheist? You know. And again, you will obviously know how far you can go if you ask a Muslim, um, do you want to go for a pork sausage later or, or somebody who is um, considering themselves a follower of the Jewish religion or a child, a child of Israel? Because even there, you'll say there's people who say that they're where are the true true Jews, where are the people who call themselves Jewish, and then there's the people who, um, what's the other word? Zionists. Um, there's just you know what I mean, like depending on your your topic, and depending on how strong the person's so-called religious belief, whether they're Catholic or whether they're Protestant, whether they're Baptist, whether they're Pentecostal, whether they're um, Reformed, there's there's so many things you can know now obviously in many cases these kind of questions you have to feel a person out and most of the time you can't even ask these days it seems like it's an offense to ask these questions but these are really interesting things i find to know about someone when having a conversation so sometimes you'll have a better understanding at where they're coming from next sexual orientation now of course if you're talking to um an old person or a minor it might be kind of nebulous or pointless or just stupid to ask that kind of a question which is how i feel about them teaching some of that stuff in schools to children who are under the age of 12. <laughs> um but again that's my point and if you think i'm wrong well guess what you're probably right um the next question so that was one two three and i have one more what is your or what are your dietary restrictions now that could be from a standpoint of you're sitting there eating food with this person or again it could go back to religion or your outlook on life in other words if a person says that they are Episcopalian and they're pescatarian and they, you know, <laughs> or if a person says that, you know, I don't eat meat, I'm, I'm a vegetarian, but, you know, or, you know, whatever it is, it's just, it's interesting to know about these kind of things are amazing. I think if the conversation that you're having or going to have some way you can segue into some of these questions, it'd be quite interesting and maybe it's jogging your mind or maybe it's not and you think this is totally ridiculous well hey you came here so it's not my problem but we're 19 minutes in anyhow <laughs> here we go so the next uh thought or question or not not thought because the questions are done that was number one we're going on to the next thing now during this so-called pandemic um we well not we many, many people were given um a stimulus package i like to call it the two thousand dollars that many people received to keep them supposedly afloat to help them pay their bills and you know it's amazing the the response what was it the the response benefit the emergency response benefit or whatever thing was called or um serb <laughs> you know for people who are broke, <laughs> for people who weren't even 
earning that much money in the first place, all of a sudden they just said, here you go. So I'm not going to call any names, but I know a lot of people who were not earning $2,000 a month and who are still not earning $2,000 a month. And I also know many people who receive $2,000 a month during, I think, what was it, up to six months or something like that or more. Um, they don't have any of that $2,000 anymore that they were receiving. They spent it all, whether they had um, insurance payments or rent payments or car payments or whatever payments phone payments it seemed like everybody else everybody has a phone these days um whether they had those things in the first place covered the point is now that money is gone now do you suppose this was done on purpose hmm did they know what they were doing hmm was this a situation where it was just happening in canada or did this happen for most of North America? Did this happen in the smaller countries, the third world, so-called third world countries? Did they know that this money was going to be spent fully and that people were going to be back to where they were before this happened? Why are they not offering that money now? I mean, the central bank just has to print more money and give it to people. I don't know, but it is interesting. And my thoughts on it is it's like the lottery syndrome. And I don't even know if the lottery syndrome is an actual thing. And I'm not talking about your your um, likelihood to or propensity to gamble or to waste your money away on a pipe dream. In many cases, in most cases. Um, but how did they know that these broke? I want to, I want to say it a different way, but I won't. Just try to keep this all um, inclusive conversation without alienating anybody, because of course that's a horrible thing to do these days. But uh, I wanted to say broke ass. But anyway, but uh, two thousand dollars in it, it's all gone for most people. Some people buy a little cheap car. And I wonder how that's going. But um, they knew. And who is they? Well, those who regulate society knew that if you gave people $2,000 a month, it was enough to feed their bellies. So they ended up at the Krispy Kreme and the McDonald's and the KFC and the Chinese takeout and wherever else and the Uber Eats and... They spent their money on uh, Amazon and they, you know, bought online and kept those companies afloat. But how did the powers that be knew, know that if they gave that money to these people, this certain demographic, even though it said it wasn't really a demographic, it was like, you're out of work. Hey, we're going to give you money. So you could be broke, 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 or you could be actually above average in pay. And there are some people who got a lot less than what they normally got. Not too many, but it was. I think it was more a lot more of people who weren't earning that got money than people who were earning really well that had to get that two thousand dollars a month. But um, these people knew exactly what they're doing. Now I'm gonna put a little video on speaking about this. But the good thing about this video or this um, audio, because obviously 
I'm not putting this on YouTube or anywhere like that. So this is just audio. My podcast right now is just 100% just audio. And you can obviously get it on Spotify. You can get it on Apple. And I think pretty much at least six or seven different carriers of podcasts you can find me on. And again, it is your probably right. And that is Y-O-U apostrophe R-E right. R-I-G-H-T, obviously. And if I spelled that wrong, hey, but you'll see my big head and you'll know it's my podcast if you spell it right. So there you go. But anyhow, how did they know that they were going to get all this money back? You know, how did they know? How did they know that when they give, you know, Johnny Blue in the face, um, 14 million that within five years, they're going to be very close to where they were to begin with when they got that money in most cases, if they don't kill themselves with the spending and whatever else they do with that money <laughs> it's interesting but i mean if you don't think there was any ulterior motives well you're probably right but anyhow here's the here's the audio and very remote nation, meaning that actual cases have been extremely low compared to its European or North American contemporaries. But with all of that aside, it must be recognised that the Australian economic response was pretty good. The central foundation of the stimulus was to massively increase welfare payments, which went from $250 to $500 per week for people on unemployment benefits. This meant that people that fell out of work through no fault of their own were able to maintain a certain lifestyle during the crisis. I mean, 500 Australian dollars a week is not exactly making it rain money, but the government figured that most people would be stuck at home anyway, so this is enough for the bare essentials. This was all made better by perhaps the more inspired part of the Australian response. This was a huge incentive to employers to keep their employees employed. The aptly named JobKeeper payment is a $750 per week payment made to businesses that had suffered under the lockdown restrictions, with the stipulation that they had to receive the payment and pass it along to their employees, even if there was nothing for them to do. This was essentially a welfare check, but because it had to be passed through businesses, it effectively maintained the professional relationship between an employee and the employer. Sometimes one of the most difficult problems with handling unemployment is that businesses really do not want to bring new people on board. Employees are expensive to train and there is no guarantee that a new employee is even going to be a good fit for the company anyway. So it's a big risk and a lot of businesses would rather just keep on operating short staff. This JobKeeper welfare plan effectively preempts this resistance to re-employment by just keeping people employed on paper. So the Australian scheme has kind of done what a good response to this crisis should do. It is recognised that we are not going to be able to fix the economic crisis before we fix the health crisis. And it's probably irresponsible to even try. So the next best thing is to effectively put the economy into hibernation. Do the bare minimum to keep it alive and make sure all the systems still work when it can spring back into action. If we were going to give it a score, it would probably be a solid 7 out of 10, only losing points because of the luck factor, in the sense that the crisis has not really hit Australia too hard, and potentially losing some points because the government has kind of been a bit aloof with committing to the details of these policies, particularly around how long they will last, 
which does not help the collective confidence that the nation needs so desperately right now. But overall, it's difficult to find too many flaws with this kind of approach, so good on you Australia. So this leads us neatly on to another thing that we may get to witness firsthand amidst this global crisis, and that is a widespread rollout of a universal basic income. Universal basic income is an idea that has gained a lot of traction in recent years and this crisis has brought it back into the spotlight after the news that many nations from Spain to Indonesia might consider rolling out this radical economic tool to address the financial turmoil in the world right now. The idea of this plan is that every eligible resident of a nation gets a set payment from the government every month for a set amount of money. If you are unemployed, you get a set UBI. If you are a Fortune 500 CEO, you get a set UBI. There are a lot of advantages to this type of welfare system. For starters, it is a lot easier to administer. You don't have to worry about employing an army of welfare administrators to make sure the right people are getting the right payments for the right policies. It's just a nice, simple, one-size-fits-all payment. Beyond that, it also takes a lot of the unfairness out of some of these policies. People are very quick to feel hard done by if they see a, an elderly person or a single mother with 18 children or whatever it may be getting a lot of money from the government when they are not. If we had a system like this, it may just take that element out of the equation as well. Beyond that, if it is classed as regular income, it will sort of work itself out with taxes. If you consider someone who is unemployed, they are going to be in a very low income tax bracket. Depending on what your universal basic income payment is, they might not have to pay any of it back. And then, if we consider our Fortune 500 CEO, they are going to have to pay back a good chunk of this extra income as income tax purely because they are in a higher income tax bracket. So it effectively self-regulates, which is awesome. A universal basic income has a lot of interesting advantages, most of which we have explored in more detail on our video looking at the economics of Andrew Yang. But is this a cure to the crisis? Well, no, probably not. The economic benefit of a universal basic income is that it gives people money to go out and spend which will recirculate around the economy to create more wealth. It does cause demand pool inflation, but it's supposed to. So long as the whole thing can help more people generate more wealth more effectively, we actually kind of like this type of inflation because it causes people to not hoard vast piles of cash and slow down a consumption-based economic machine that we have created. But all of this assumes that people actually have the ability to go out and consume, which right now, they really do not. With shops and restaurants and gyms and all of that good stuff closed down, the only thing that people really have to spend money on is bare essentials and online goods and services. Money spent online tends to be spent with larger institutions with less of a propensity to recirculate that money around the economy. Whereas if you compare spending the same amount of money at a local restaurant or something, there is a good chance that most of that money will find its way back into the local economy as the owner of the restaurant hires new staff or pays contractors or even just spends their profits on their own needs. And all of that is great. Because none of this local spending can really take place though right now, a universal income is just not the right solution. To really stretch the analogy of an economy in hibernation, this would be like feeding that economy a big fat protein shake. Look, it's probably not going to hurt anything, but all of that proteiny goodness is probably better administered when the economy is active again to really get the full benefits out of everything this system has to offer. 
Now, this is not to say it's a bad policy. To the contrary, a universal basic income has a lot going for it, and I hope that nations do explore this idea further in the future, but now is just not the right time. Let's give it a four out of 10 and hope the rollout takes long enough that it actually is dispersed when people can go out and spend as it was intended. Now, as interesting as all of this is, its relevance pales in comparison to the largest stimulus bill in history. All right, so that's just something for you to contemplate. I could be totally wrong, but it's kind of interesting that they had the same situation happening in Australia that they're having up here in North America and Canada and the United States. So, you know, sometimes it's hard not to believe when the so-called conspiracy theorists say that it is something globally that is afoot, that something that is being done by a certain group of wealthy and powerful people that is orchestrating the way in which people will live, for lack of a better term, or lack of a better way of saying it. Okay, next topic. My issue with Canada and its vaccine rollout. Hmm. First of all, where is the vaccines coming from? Who decided to give us the vaccine? Who made the vaccine? Um, let's see. You know, correct me if I'm wrong. And the good thing about you correcting me if I'm wrong is that you actually can't because this is a recording and there's nothing you can do about what I have to say. But I'm sure if you do enough research, then you could probably figure out the probably better than i could okay maybe not but <laughs> but check it out but i probably correct me if i'm wrong but did uft not have a breakthrough or did somebody not in in toronto not have a breakthrough um i think what was it back in may of may of 2020 saying that they're very close to coming up with a vaccine in Canada, I, I think it was UFT. I'm not, I'm not 100% sure, but you can Google it or YouTube it and you could probably see. They made a big thing about it on the news that they were coming, getting very, very close to finding a good um, vaccine and they had made much headway. And we have nothing here in Canada. <laughs> we're getting what everybody else has and we're not bringing any of it to the table ourselves. Um, why are we having so much trouble getting it is the question two weeks ago and again this is april 15 2021 you can mark me if you don't believe me but if you check the very beginning of april on youtube because and it's not that and we're going to talk about social media in a while but it's not that i'm trusting everything that um youtube is telling me but these are actual mainstream media and i know that's a bad word now but it's mainstream media's tapings of people you know like me who tape off the news at times to present it to other people with a different point perspective or maybe we agree which in most cases i don't but um why is it why are we having such a hard time getting it here 
And I'm wondering also, how much is it costing Canada to get this vaccine? It has to be expensive, no? Now, I'm going to, after this, I'm going to play a little um, audio again from Bill Gates speaking to a guy. And let's see if I can find out. It's from a YouTube channel. Let's see. What YouTube channel was it? It's kind of interesting. Oh, it was a guy. It's called Veritasium. And I mean, this guy has 8.7 million subscribers. And, you know, first of all, I was like, how the heck did this guy? I mean, 8.27, 8. Going to 9 million subscribers and obviously probably possibly more viewers but i mean this video only has 4.2 million but whatever so half his people <laughs> have watched this but i mean i watched it too so whatever so anyways he has a broad reach but it's still i find it interesting that bill gates would be on this guy's um channel and i would obviously find it really weird if he wasn't totally 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 pro bill gates which he proves to be if you listen but um Getting back to what I'm saying on it first, before I cut to that, I'm wondering how much does it cost Canada to get this vaccine? I mean, we're getting it from Moderna, we're getting it from AstraZeneca, we're getting it from Pfizer, we're getting Johnson & Johnson, we're waiting for that one shot, which apparently it's there. So how did it feel to make this prediction and then have the world essentially not listen and not prepare? Well, there's no good feeling that comes on something like this saying, I told you so. If anything kills over 10 million people in the next few decades, it's most likely to be a highly infectious virus rather than a war. You know, I just think back of, could I have been more, been more persuasive? But we've actually invested very little in a system to stop an epidemic. We're not ready for the next epidemic. How did you make such a prescient prediction? How did you know this was gonna happen? Well, there's a number of respiratory viruses and from time to time one will come along that's very transmissive and causes some level of fatalities. Respiratory diseases are very scary uh, because you're still walking around on a plane, a bus, uh, when you're infectious. Unlike some other diseases like Ebola where you're mostly in a hospital bed by the time the viral load uh, infects other people. Hey, so recently I got the chance to interview Bill Gates when his foundation's annual letter came out. I'll link to it in the description. And we talked about lots of things, including conspiracy theories and misinformation. But about the pandemic, I wanted to know if so many people could see this coming and the costs of prevention were relatively small, then why wasn't more done about it? Well, there's some risks like earthquakes where we see small earthquakes all the time or you know, the history of war or fire or hurricanes. So you don't forget, these pandemics only come along so irregularly that being lulled into a sense of security where it probably won't be a problem in the next few years, why should we put money into that? Uh, you don't buy the insurance policy, basically. This one will uh, help us understand it needs to be a priority. 
I feel like humans have an issue though with fighting the last battle potentially. So if we focus on pandemics now, and there isn't one say for another hundred years, what is the next disaster? What is the one that we're not prepared for? Well, I'd point out two. One is climate change. Every year that would be a death toll even greater uh, than we've had in this pandemic. Also related to pandemics is something people don't like to talk about much, which is bioterrorism. That somebody who wants to cause damage could engineer uh, a virus. And so that means the cost, the chance of running into this is more than just the naturally caused epidemics like uh, the current one. It feels to me like there's something similar about pandemics and you know, climate change or like asteroid impact, which is that, you know, they're, they're not very tangible, but you could do a little bit. I don't know, it seems like humans are not very good at those sorts of problems. Well, my favorite writer, Václav Smil, you know, wrote about all the potential kinds of disasters, like, you know, the risk of an asteroid, the risk of a, you know, Yellowstone-like eruption. And in fact, he showed that pandemics were significantly the biggest thing other than a human-caused nuclear war. Uh, that we needed to be more prepared for. So what changes do we put in place to be readier for the next one? And is it possible that COVID-19 could be the last global pandemic? Well, certainly there will be more pandemics. The, in ways that humans interact with other species, these viruses are coming across a species barrier, whether it's from bats or uh, monkeys or... But you don't think we could increase our preparedness to such a level that it never sort of becomes this global issue. We could increase our preparedness so we never have a death hole uh, anywhere near what we have today. You know, pandemics can be worse in terms of the fatality. Smallpox was a uh, over 30% fatality. You know, so a little bit we were lucky that the fatality here is not not super high. But we can nip it in the bud. It'll still get to a lot of countries, but the number of deaths, you know. Uh, with the right system should be a tenth of what we've, we've seen here. And the systems that you want to put in place, so this sort of, so you can nip it in the bud, or, or sort of what are the key elements that we didn't have that we should have going forward? I would divide it into two sections. There's the field-based activity and the R&D activity. In R&D, uh, we need to mature mRNA so we can make it even faster and have factories all over the world, have it be cheap and thermostable, there's a lot that can go into therapeutics, including antibodies. On diagnostics, having the ability to give 10 million PCR tests a day. Then in terms of the field, we need a lot of diagnostic machines all over the world. We need a team of epidemiologists. So the investments are about equal between R&D uh, and the, the field-based group uh, and information that should be constantly flowing. You know, I feel like there's a meta issue that is kind of above all of these issues, which is, you know, the way that people connect with reality and figure out what's true and what's not and, you know, what information to believe. I've got to say that, you know, as I was growing up and coming into this information age, it seemed like the internet and all these tools were going to make the correct information so much more easy to access and bring us into a more fact-based world. Instead, it doesn't look as though it's bringing us there. I wonder if you shared a similar vision for, you know, what the internet might do for all of us. And I don't know if you have any thoughts about the current state of it. You know, how do, how do we deal with this? Well, the internet has done something fantastic, which is if you want to learn, you know, the people who watch you are, 
you know, getting an opportunity to understand science and what's going on. And that just wasn't there. Uh, and so for a lot of people, they're so much more informed. I mean, I have friends who ask me about these variants where I'm just stunned at how up to date they are with the latest information. So for people who wanna learn facts, this is a golden age. You know, we focus on the negative part with some of these conspiracy theories and anti-factual things. And so because social media is so new, figuring out how you curb that, you know, labeling it, restrict the speed of spread of things that are titillating but false, uh, we are missing some good ideas to, uh, you know, not have this kind of uh, scary uh, phenomena that in the case of anti-vaccine things may slow down how quickly we get lots of people uh, to take the vaccine and therefore extend the epidemic and, and cost us in, in tens of thousands of lives. It feels like you're running up against, you know, kind of that great American principle of, of free speech, right? I think it's it's a great point that you bring up that, you know, in the past, the problem was kind of scarcity, getting access to this sort of information. And now it's sort of a problem of too much and figuring out which is the good stuff and which is not. Well, there are certainly clear things like, you know, saying completely false things about, you know, vaccines. But there is kind of a gray area in the middle that figuring out what the rules are and who should be the one looking and interpreting those rules. Wow, we are missing that today. You know, can you get a group of experts that are weighing in on these things? You don't really want the profit motive involved, uh, but you want, uh, you know, expertise and capacity. And so, you know, a few years from now, I hope we're more sophisticated on uh, what, how that line should be drawn you know, a while back on my second channel, I made a video called Be Hated, which was kind of about my thoughts about pushing back against misinformation, that we should see anything that is wrong in the world and we should do our best to, to fight it. So you should not be liked by everyone because there are some people out there with bad ideas and you should be pushing back against them. That was essentially my thought. But since then, I feel like my views have softened a little. And now I think of our pushing back against misinformation a little bit like an immune system. Obviously, it's a problem if your immune system is weak, if it, if it doesn't respond to anything. But it's also a problem if your immune system is too strong. You know, during the 1918 flu pandemic, there's a really interesting distribution of deaths where the young and old were more likely to die, obviously, because they have weak immune systems, but also people in the sort of 25 to 35 year old range, because their immune systems were just so strong, they were overactive, and that ended up resulting in mortality. So I feel like there's a sweet spot in terms of how much we push back against misinformation. You know, you'll never see me make a video about uh, flat earthers because I just don't see the point. You know, making that video only kind of reconfirms their worldview and there's, there's not really any minds to move there. So that's kind of how I'm conceptualizing misinformation these days, um, a bit like we have to be a targeted immune system. So I wanted to push Bill a bit further on this idea and I brought up a tweet that I had seen doing the rounds on Twitter that basically said, that the Oxford vaccine development, they were gonna open source that vaccine until the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation got involved and said, no, you must partner exclusively with a big pharma company, AstraZeneca. And so obviously it seems to the people on Twitter that something nefarious was going on there. But I wanted to know from Bill, what was the real story? Well, the making a safe vaccine uh, is more complicated than say making a jet engine. 
uh, and people are very picky about vaccines. In fact, you could ruin the reputation of vaccines if you're making them in factories where the quality control at every stage is not exquisite. And, you know, any mistake, you know, you can have that factory shut down literally for months at a time when its output is needed to save millions of lives. So vaccine factories are not something that you just, you know, uh, you know, like open source code that you can take and, you know, mess around with. And so the, the limitations on how many vaccines are being made, that's based on how many great, capable vaccine manufacturers there are in the world. And we've made sure that the AstraZeneca's be made in these big Indian factories, and there's no royalty for that, no charge at all. Now, we've had to fund that, the Gates Foundation. These are companies we've been working on their factory quality for over a decade uh, so that there was spare capacity to make inexpensive vaccines. So. Oxford University is, is wonderful, but they're not capable of doing a phase three trial and they, they don't have factories. We did tell Oxford that they needed to seek somebody with expertise uh, and AstraZeneca came in and we didn't uh, control that agreement, but they came in and said, hey, they want to do it on a nonprofit basis. And I'm impressed with how they put their best people on it and helped out. You know, the pharma companies didn't, who didn't get involved Nobody's criticizing them. So, you know, you feel sorry for the ones that are really uh, miraculously uh, helping make these vaccines. The, these are the very good reasons that I suspect exist, but that, that's where I feel like social media just doesn't get the nuance. And, and uh, you know, it, it pains me to see the world like that. Um, and, and, you know, even to see you, Bill, you know, be the target of some of these conspiracy theories. It, it seems to not bother you, but you know, it kind of bothers me as, as a guy who wants, you know, everyone to live in the same kind of reality. And, you know, I, I see out there doing great things. And, and I think that, you know, that should be commended as opposed to what you get. I'm not in a position to complain much. You know, I, I have a lot of things that, uh, you know, make me extremely lucky. And, you know, I hope these conspiracy theories go away. You know, I don't know what it'll, what it'll mean for the future. How do you feel about the, the vaccine rollout so far? Well, we, you know, we need the supply, we need the logistics, and we need the demand. And there are huge challenges in each of those. Um, I'm hopeful that Johnson & Johnson in the next month will get approved because that's a single dose vaccine, very cheap, highly scalable. So AstraZeneca, Johnson & Johnson, and a few months later, Novavax, most of the developing world those are the vaccines that will be going to them. And so we put billions into trying to make that happen. And, you know, in a few months, hopefully it'll come together. Now, um, but who is paying for it? <laughs> and why are we having so much trouble getting it? It's like two weeks ago, as I was saying before, I, I, sometimes I lose my train of thought, but we were having so much trouble. They said that people, they have the vaccine, they have the places, and this is here in Ontario, Canada, but for some reason they're having trouble getting the people to get the vaccine now two weeks later april 15th they're saying that they have the people the people have signed up and registered and whatever and and have their identification to prove that they are worthy or they are of the demographic that is allowed to get their vaccine now and now we can't get the vaccines again. We're having problems getting the vaccine. And it's becoming a huge thing here in Ontario, Canada. Um, every once in a while, um, what's his name? Doug Ford, the premier of Ontario, 
will kick it up and say, you know, well, we need the Fed to get on this and get us our vaccine. And he was saying he'll drive the truck himself and go pick up the vaccine and bring it here and, you know, be Robin Hood or whatever it is, which obviously is not going to happen. But <laughs> it's funny. But the stuff that Doug Ford says is funny to me sometimes. But um, I know he's it seems like he's doing his best with what he's given and the opposition is regularly flaying him <laughs> and it's funny how he's been all over the place in factories out here and there brown groundbreaking ceremonies and this that and the other and every time his opposition is standing there where it seems like they're they're coming from the capitol hill and they got the maple they got the maple leaf the the flag behind them and you know they care about the people so much but yet all they're doing is tearing this man down as he's trying to deal with something that none of them have ever dealt with before and not sure if they could do a better job than he's doing. But I mean, whatever. <laughs> that is what it is. And, you know, if you disagree, then you're probably right. <laughs> all right. Let's see. And my question to this and probably more importantly so if i haven't lost people already is why is it not a crime for a private company such as was it the bill and melinda gates foundation or microsoft or whatever bill <laughs> why is it and he, obviously it's not only him but i mean there's there's companies that are apparently um putting out this vaccine and i don't know which companies he's really affiliated with which is probably better for me. Um, but shouldn't it be a crime to not have to give out this vaccine to every country as much as possible? I mean, I don't care who you are or what company you have, but if you come up with something that's supposed to save lives, um, and you're charging, first of all, for this vaccine. Now, they may say, oh, we're just charging for the production and the scientists that are doing all the work to get this thing. But we're not actually charging for the vaccine, which, of course, the vaccine itself is under a lot of scrutiny. Um, the biggest argument is apparently it causes blood clots, <laughs> even if you're not Jamaican. And <laughs> and apparently, and I'm not making light of the vaccine or COVID-19, by the way, I'm just speaking to my people. <laughs> but anyhow, and why did I do that? But um, shouldn't it be seen? I'm just wondering and I'm putting it out there. Shouldn't it be seen as a crime against humanity if you come up with something that could save millions and millions of lives nobody's seen this kind of thing since the last pandemic which supposedly was in 1918 the spanish flu or whatever they want to call it just before the great depression in 1929 after the amazing roaring 20s and we might be there again by the way but um why is it that this isn't seen as a, as a crime against humanity and you may say to yourself, why would that be a crime against humanity? Well, let's see. I just Google it. Good old Google. Is Google on social media? Anyhow. 
Crimes Against Humanity. A deliberate act, typically as part of a systemic campaign that causes human suffering or death on a large scale. So my question to you is, wouldn't that be seen as a crime against humanity? I mean, if you have a vaccine and people are getting sick, people are dying, countries are crumbling um, financially, the economies are crashing around the world, not just in one country. Shouldn't you just have to give up this formula? Like, forget about you putting the vaccine together for us and shipping it over. Shouldn't you just be giving us the formula and the precise way to make it so that all countries can get this and help their people? Because as far as the last time that I checked and it's funny, um, let's see that the date, this is apparently today that I'm doing this happens to be, and this isn't the reason why I decided to do a podcast today. Cause I've been gone missing for about a month now and I haven't been able to because I've been dealing with some other things in my life, but I figured I would get out here today, but Ontario today has logged 4,736 new COVID cases. And that's basically the highest number. Let's see. Ontario is reporting another single day record for COVID-19 infections today as hospitalizations and intensive care admissions continue to climb in the province. And people are dying every day. So they've done a lot of tests today, but let's see how many people have died. Another 29 virus related deaths were reported in the province today. So if Bill and Melinda Gates have this vaccine and they're not just giving it up smooth or AstraZeneca or whoever, Pfizer, Johnson and Johnson or whoever, Shouldn't they just have to be giving it up because they're just private people and they're very rich, obviously, and they have a lot of resources. Shouldn't they have to just give this up to everybody free and not only you make it and say, hey, we have saved everyone and we're offering this vaccine at limited amounts all over the world. Shouldn't you just be able to give the formula to all the scientists all over the world and everybody else just divvy it up to their people and save the world, heal the world? Seems like it, but... If you don't think so, when you have a better idea of why that wouldn't work, well, guess what? You're probably right. But I'm just saying. Next, immigration can help if regulated. Now, I'm speaking about Canada. And this is referring to the economy. And this goes back to what's been happening as far as our economy and how money is being or not being made in this country. There was amazing um, real estate boom in two, from about 2000 and what was it? 16 to 2017, April, when they put this, the new restrictions on getting mortgages and get approval for how the stress test. There you go. They put the stress test here and it quelled everything and i think it happened squashed everything it it 
it happened in Canada and I'm pretty sure it happened in Australia and it probably happened in the United States too. I'm not sure. Don't quote me on that. And if I'm wrong, guess what? You're probably right. But um, yeah, that's a short one. But um, I think that if regulated right, like what the issue in Canada was and still is technically, is that there are a lot of people from other countries who are purchasing property at an alarming rate so much so that it was just driving up the cost of real estate because obviously supply and demand and if you have a bunch of people from outside of your country buying up stuff that they don't use and they're just profiting off of and then you joe blow who would just like to get a place for you and your family or maybe you wanted to prospect and maybe just have a couple properties so maybe you can rent one or two and kind of live off that and do a you know a half decent job on the side and you know and prosper but they squash that with the more the mortgage stress test and all that other stuff but um i think that it's good that people from other countries want to invest in our country but i think the issue was it being regulated it was i think if if there was really a proper now i hate to say it a task force to regulate how and who was being allowed to come in the country and buy property here in other countries i think it could work the problem is is when they decide that they want to cash out and take the money out of the country but again that's the whole point of it being regulated so we're up to 41 minutes i'm not sure if i should go on guys we still got seven things to talk about so i'm going to talk about them but i'm probably going to be pretty brief now companies may start to access university and college courses online for employees to upgrade or just to become certified in the first place in particular areas and you know the funny thing is i used to watch i used to listen to um a podcast i can't remember what it was called the all man podcast or something like that but i remember this guy was on there and he was on there with a guy who um was i can't remember what his name was but he was always calling him Niels. but he apparently i think he had a doctorate in something and this other guy he had just um become a, basically a self-made man and his whole premise for his podcast was teaching young men to become better versions of themselves and to become productive in society and stuff like that but i remember them and i i I got into the podcast so much so that the one guy had a book and it was a bestseller and i actually purchased one i read it and i found it very interesting that they were saying you know at this time in 2014 15 saying that um university and colleges weren't going to be obsolete one day and your college well not totally obsolete but your college and university degrees and diplomas weren't going to be as valuable half as valuable as you thought they were after all of that money that you were putting into them and the fact that you're probably going to have a debt to college or university most likely university up and way into your 50s for many people um but now here we are flash forward to or fast forward to 2021 and what have you noticed about colleges and universities now during this pandemic especially and of course school and that is i mean elementary and high school everybody's online 
right? More than they were before and probably more than most in those institutions would have liked or maybe not, depending on who you speak to in those institutions. Everybody's online and the colleges and universities are offering course after course after course of free education. They're offering free education taught by people who are obviously being paid. But the trick, I'm not going to say the trick, the one idea that they have is to charge a nominal fee for those courses if you would like a certificate. And those schools that are doing this are basically every school. So that's like including Stanford, that's including Oxford, that's including Harvard. Um, I think U of T is doing it. I think there's a lot of schools doing this where they just, you know, they'll teach you something. You can um, peruse the course or I can't remember what it's called when you just, I think it's survey. I think you survey the course or whatever it is. And you can get the, you can get the learning if you'd like, or you can get the learning and you can get accreditation with a little um, online certificate saying that this person attended and passed this course. And I think you can get a lot of those courses and you can, they're apparently now when people are headhunting, looking for people to work for their companies, um, you can add these things to your resume and apparently they speak volumes on your resume. Now, of course, you still have to be able to back it up with a good cover letter and a good interview, of course, and it might help if you know somebody um, in a high place. But it's kind of funny how that worked out and that university and college courses are being taught online for free. That's amazing. And I certainly didn't expect that. Giving it away. So it seems like education rules. And that is education is cheap. And that was number six. So kind of put that together. So we're way over here at number five now. Prices going up. Lumber has gone up due to COVID. Now let's see. Supply and demand. So nobody was allowed to work. The forest guys were not out there cutting down trees, I suppose. Like how else could this have possibly happened? But apparently supply is way down now. I don't know who is catching COVID chopping trees down in the wilderness somewhere, but apparently that's exactly what's happened. And apparently now that they're giving that the reason that house prices are going up still is the fact that price of lumber has gone up because of a lack of supply. So I don't know. How could you fix that? I don't know. Get a lot of people out there cutting down trees and making lumber. Maybe it takes a while to treat it. Maybe it takes a little while. I don't know what the whole process is, but apparently that's the reason. And this is happening in other industries and other um, in other products as well. Like yesterday, I'm not going to tell you the product, but I honestly went to buy a product that is usually sold by a few mega stores here in Toronto. And none of the stories stores had it. I also went to a few mom and pop stores to see if I could find it as well. None of them had it. I went on to the actual company's website. I had a hard time speaking to their customer, their consumer. Um, um, it wasn't called customer service, but they're people who take care of their consumers. So people who um, take care of, I guess, complaints and sales and whatever it is. And for some reason, I couldn't get through to the company. The company said when I finally got through them for a couple seconds before I was cut off the phone was that 
they have a limited supply on certain products and i would assume this is again is COVID. so driving the price up and you can think of that driving the price up on people who got those two thousand dollar stimulus checks that i was talking about earlier so that money still fleeingly left their hands anyways and it's leaving my hands as well because what i purchased which what it was that i bought not only was it four dollars more for a single but i actually bought three of them because couldn't find them anywhere else and i was shocked at the place that i actually ended up finding it at. and i was wondering man maybe i should have um bought a bunch of them and sold them for a grocer you know kind of like how people were sticking at people for toilet paper and lysol at the beginning of this pandemic <laughs> but i didn't i just got my share and got right out of there now next the housing market is about to crash get your money you may say are you crazy if you are saying you are probably crazy mzm well guess what you're probably right but i will again those who forget the past are destined to repeat it now listen you know about two, that was in 1918 when we had that so-called spanish flu or when they had it because i wasn't around for sure and then we had the rolling 20s and everything was amazing and people were buying on margin and there was no credit cards yet but people were buying stocks and flipping stocks and they didn't even understand their stocks but they were buying and selling and then all of a sudden everything crashed that was 1929 and it took a few years and then we had a world war to get everything back up and running and of course the the first um pandemic happened well that wasn't the first but at that time it was just after the first world war but um anyhow let's see do i have time now i don't have time to plug it in all right so let's see i'm running low on a little battery here but let's just see if we can get through this so anyways i believe that the housing market is going to crash prices are gone up astronomically if you purchased a house let's just say if you purchased a house in 2012 if you have sold that house now i guarantee you in most cases at least in ontario you've doubled or maybe got close to tripling your money that's not normal that's only how many years let's see that's 2000 yeah from wait yeah i'd say yeah if you bought a house in 2012 2013 so say you bought a house about seven eight years ago you've probably doubled and come close to, in many cases to tripling your money depending if you bought smart in the first place with some foresight um this is crazy this isn't normal i know people who have sat in houses for say 20 to 30 years to double their money on their on their investment their property that they're living in um maybe that's kind of slow but the point is is eight years seven years five years and some three and two years to double your money on a property is absolutely ridiculous people are willing to pay whatever for a house at this point and i believe that there is a problem and i think that we're gonna see instead of thinking that oh this is just a new price and the cost of lumber has like eventually the cost of lumber is going to go down because they're going to get ahead of the game with the lumber no so the prices aren't going to just continually go up and up and up but i would assume anytime that everybody is in something 
it's about to fall off, right? It's kind of like fashion. You, let's see, you go pay, get a pair of Jordans. At one point, it was only the elite basketball players that had them or the very rich that had them because they were $200, $249 a pop. And then eventually they started oversaturating the market and everybody had them and people spent their whole paychecks and yada, yada, yada. Everybody and their grandma has a pair of Jordans. Now prices have come down substantially. Now we're not talking about the retros and this, that, and the other because that's a whole different market because those are things that you can hardly find now. But the bottom line is I believe that it is going to crash. But if you don't, you're probably right. I'm sure you have your reasoning. Next, <clears throat> getting news from social media, good or bad? Well, let's ask this question. What isn't social media now? I mean, mainstream, so-called mainstream media from the major networks, a lot of their, se their, their um, segments on their actual broadcast now are things brought off from so-called social media, from YouTube, from Instagram, from Twitter, from TikTok that's social media no isn't everything social media now but um if you don't think so you're probably right <laughs> pushing the vaccine on minorities now i wish i could spend a lot more time on this but i'm kind of trying to get out of here under an hour it's kind of cool that i had this long talk with you and that you could actually tune in for the whole thing if you are or if you're back again to listen again. Um, but there's many minorities, specifically black people, who don't want this thing. Um, we don't trust it in many cases. I'm going to put on a video and that should probably explain to you why. But what dawned on me, and this is just me personally, and I'm not speaking for the so-called black community wherever you are because i can't find you my people but when are we ever first to get anything or second because the first people they offered the vaccine to was our mothers and grandmothers and grandfathers and and fathers who were 80 90 who were on their way obviously on their way out these are the first people that were given or some might argue tested on the vaccine. Now they're going into all of the so-called neighborhoods that were greatly affected by it. And they keep pushing and pushing it in minorities, low income families or the people who are most susceptible to COVID due to living arrangements and multi-generational multi-generational generational housings um living in apartment buildings and not great hvac systems and people working in low-paying jobs like factories and retail and um yeah a lot of that time a lot of the time it is those people who are going to be in those situations but not always and then they started doing this thing with the area codes where, again, people tend to live around and be around their people. So when I looked at the postal codes, for instance, the one in Markham, and they were there and they had the, the, the movie, the, not the movie, the, the television cameras, the news cameras in people's faces, having them talk about what they think about the vaccine. And every single person they spoke to 
at least the news brought the broadcast that i listened to said it's great we're so happy we need this everybody needs to take it and i won't even begin to get into it fully but black people have experiment have have been experiments in many cases and we just don't trust it the angle for me is i don't want covid 19. but when chanel mcleod publicly announced she'd step up and get vaccinated she got immediate blowback from family and friends why are you saying that you are going to take the vaccine why are you getting other people to take the vaccine you know what has happened to black and brown people historically, and you know how the medical profession has treated our people. McLeod heads Project Ready, a Newark-based social justice group whose recent poll of Jersey voters found 39% of African Americans would refuse the vaccine, as would 45% of Latinx residents and 37% of whites. But it's a higher hurdle to convince people of color to get vaccinated, given the nation's history of systemic racism and egregious medical abuse, including the Tuskegee syphilis experiment. Even when minorities get vaccinated for the news cameras, McLeod says, critics ask, Are we just throwing a face of color on this and calling it a campaign with hopes that people will follow through? And so I think the level of skepticism, and rightfully so, rightfully so, has is increasing the more people step up. We have to be comfortable with people being hesitant and not demonize them for having that position because they have a right to have that position because it's their body. Reverend Ronald Slaughter's pastor at Newark St. James AME Church. He knows COVID's killing people of color at higher rates. Out of 100,000 whites who got COVID-19 in New Jersey, 95 died. But the virus killed 231 out of 100,000 blacks and 229 Hispanics. University Hospital CEO Dr. Sharif Al-Nahal talked about the disparity in caseloads. We're seeing Hispanic Americans come uh, at levels we didn't even see in the spring. By far the uh, biggest demographic that we're seeing come in with COVID-19 in our hospital. And we really have to uh, start setting the table not only with our own healthcare workers and encouraging them to get the vaccine, but with the entire community. The science and the data and the stats do not lie. They tell the truth uh, of the reality that we are living in and hearing from the scientists and experts that look like us, I think is very critical. So Reverend Slaughters preached about vaccine researcher and advocate Dr. Kismikia Corbett at the National Institutes of Health. Slaughter will take the vaccine, a promise echoed by several local leaders, including Newark Mayor Raz Baraka and Senator Cory Booker, who was on Chatbox with our David Cruz. We have to now go out and take the vaccine. Anybody who considers themselves a leader, uh, who has people that look to them, for example, and instruction, we should take this vaccine. It's going to save lives. I've heard so many young African-Americans stop me and tell me that they're not going to take the, take the vaccine. And I'm here to unequivocally tell everybody that's a mistake. And the fact that you're giving it to us first. Let's see. We don't get money first in most cases. We don't get social status first. We haven't. Um, there's so many benefits in society that we don't get first. But now you want to give us the vaccine first or second. Who's going to trust that? Not with the history, not with our history. Why are we going to trust you? Ebola was in Texas. 
Ebola made a visit. Killed that man in Dallas. Five days that man melted to death. What happened to the brother in Dallas? Where was the secret serum is what we all said. I remember in the beginning of Ebola, there were two American doctors that got sick in Africa. They flew them in a private jet straight to Atlanta to the CDC. I didn't even know CDC saw patients. There it was said they administered what the New York Times called a secret serum. I don't know what's in it. It's just like Colonel Sanders recipe. But both of these motherfuckers survived. These doctors, thank God, are healthy. They are out there somewhere tonight at Whole Foods, touching vegetables, walking around. Everything's okay. Hey, Frank, how are you? Oh, you didn't hear? I had a bowl last week, but uh, I'm doing all right now. I was bleeding out of my eyes and anus, so I got concerned, but I'm okay. What happened to the brother in Dallas? They just rubbed some Vicks on that nigga's chest. Good luck, little buddies. I knew he wasn't gonna make it. <laughs> I remember. Sad. I saw in the New York Times, uh, they said Ebola is the new AIDS. <laughs> Isn't that something? Here I am thinking that old AIDS was working just fine. <laughs> and they already have a new AIDS out. Isn't that amazing how they do that? Isn't it weird how there's a disease that just starts in 1980 and it doesn't kill anybody but niggas, fags, and junkies? Isn't that a, a fucking amazing coincidence? that this disease hates everybody that old white people hate. I think either God is white or the government hid that shit in disco balls. Only fun people get AIDS. <laughs> Last month on the front of the New York Times, the measles was a headline. I had to check the date of the paper. I was like, measles, what is this, 1850? What the fuck is this? Why is measles in the news? Turns out they were trying to decide if mandatory vaccinations for children is the way we all want to go. Any thoughts? You say yes. I'm sorry, ladies and gentlemen, I just, uh, I don't know. I don't know about this one. Was, uh, first of all, black people generally don't trust doctors. You know, after the Tuskegee experiments and all that shit. More importantly, don't forget, Michael Jackson was killed by a doctor. Granted, he was doing drugs, but if I was a heroin addict and I had a licensed physician injecting heroin in me, I should survive that. I'd just be looking like, oh, I'm good, right? I'm good? It's not too much, is it? Dr. Butterfingers killed Michael Jackson. After that, I was like, fuck going to the doctor. The fuck am I getting my kids vaccinated for an old-ass disease like measles? This is ridiculous. You might as well give them a diarrhea shot if you're so worried. Diarrhea has a bigger body count than the measles do. You know, diarrhea is funny today, but... A hundred years ago, if your ass had diarrhea, you were a goner. There was like a zero chance of survival. You get that first squirt, uh-oh. Gotta start getting my affairs in order. But I don't have much time. It's diarrhea, it's very serious. You just watch your buddy slowly die in a pool of his own shit. Oh. I give up diarrhea. Too strong. <laughs> Nowadays, your buddy just be like, oh, we got diarrhea, just eat a banana, nigga, drink some water, let's get to the club. Still make last call. So, 
it's great if you want to get people on on tv taking a vaccine that we have no idea what is in the bottle or the vial that you're giving them and we have no idea in some cases if they're actually being stuck with the the vaccine or not but a few people and maybe they're getting maybe they're getting the correct one that doesn't say that you're giving the the correct vaccine to joe blow and mary in the project somewhere we can't trust that i'm sorry personally i'm like well you know what you can try it on a few more people at least at least that's what i heard somebody say maybe not me right but um there's various reasons anyhow i'm gonna put you on a little four minute uh, audio here and you can hear what somebody else has to say about the situation and they're from the united states so i've got stuff from australia some stuff from the united states and back again to the united states and just getting getting different perspectives on this i have my own of course and again the last one was canada can't get the vaccine and that's the rollout we're having problems but i already touched on it in another um actually number nine or number three of the things that i spoke about today and yeah we're getting close to that hour mark and i like to cut it off but actually we're way past it because of the videos that i'm adding on this um, podcast but i will leave you with a couple more thoughts okay first one or second one is and you may wonder why i'm asking this question but i will preface what i'm gonna say first by saying there's people like uh, there's a few churches there's one in, in Canada here who was shut down with two fences around it. Didn't want anybody else going into there for whatever reason. They didn't have a single case. They've been having mask off services for about three months now with no problem and no issues. And then all of a sudden they were closed down. There are places in California. There's a certain church by a certain very popular preacher. And they have had a couple asymptomatic uh, people in their congregation and maybe two or three other people who actually caught COVID or whatever it is, but they've been fine in their church and their people just went back on their own and everything's been fine there. But then you have places like Toronto and Ontario with almost 5,000 cases in 24 hours. That's what they tell us. Now, I don't know if we're the, the gullible population or this is really true because I don't know any of these 5,000 people. And I haven't known any of the 4,000, 3,000, 2,000 of the other how many days this has been going on in the last little while. Actually, no, no, I know one. But of course, they're asymptomatic. Anyhow, I'm just wondering what percentage of people who died from COVID were also a part of the population that would be easily hypnotized. Why, I ask? Do a little research. And you'll know why I'm asking. Because it is a question, it's not a statement. Lastly, this is what I'd say to many people who may have certain situations. Again, sometimes I have to speak in these weird little parables for the information to get to the people who 
it's supposed to get to. So someone once said, if it's not for you, leave it alone. If it's yours, grasp it and hold on to it. But don't wake me up if I'm dreaming, but rather teach me how to interact with my dream and teach me how to manipulate my situation in the dream and come out with something, something beneficial when I wake up to exact some type of benefit in my life or in the life of another people, person or yeah, another person. That was just the thought I had as I was sitting there. And that should have been my last one, but I realized I had one more. There we go. As we are way above the one hour mark now. <laughs> sometimes in life or sometimes in the tub of life to get rid of all of the excess water or issue you have to push harder into the plug pressing it deeper into the hole almost as it would seem counter productively productively uh, but not quite because you are concentrating your efforts only on one side of the plug rather than trying to extract the plug from the tub by pulling on the very top of the plug, which would actually be working a lot harder than what I've just said. Thinking and deciding to work smarter but not harder. Hmm. Anyhow, that's the thought I'm going to leave with you today. Thank you for coming over and listening to my ramblings. This is You Probably Right podcast. Look out, there's more. And hopefully, as there is more interest in the stuff that I have to say, please tell a friend. You can catch me on all the platforms as far as podcasts are for right now and hopefully it'll expand for all i know i'm here talking to just you and me so take the conversation that i've just had with you as a personal one between me and you because it might only be you that is actually listening to me okay take care until next time you're probably right